Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 877. If people could identify their passion and then put it out to the world on the internet in a very small but very excellent way, sort of to be the best at that one little small niche, that's really been the secret to our growth and to the success of our business. And I think that that's something that people need to keep remembering. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, David Silverkleit. Hey, David. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am completely ready to go. All right, here we go. And we're going to have some fun. David Silverclight lives in Brantford, Connecticut, and he's known as the CFO or Chief Frog Eye Officer at BugEyeGuy.com, a bug eye sprite specialist company. While in high school, he bought his first bug eye sprite. That was way back in 1978. If you fast forward to 2007, when David founded the website BugEyeGuy.com, and today, that's where he buys, sells, builds, and restores these wonderful little British cars. In 2015, he built one of the world's only gold medal Concorde Bug Eye Sprites, and that car was certified at the Gettysburg Austin Healy Club Enclave. Along with cars, David has a parts business as well, where he helps other Bug Eye owners keep their special cars running and looking their best. So David, I have told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your business, and an obvious passion for these quirky little British cars. Well, thanks, Mark. The um, the thing about Bug Eyes is that it's really the one car that has kept my interest through the years. I love all cars, and I have just been the most passionate about this particular car because it is really, to me, the ultimate expression of what cars can be. Personality is just seemingly gone from modern cars, and driving in and being around a bug eye is it's like going out with a puppy it's the the most vital car i've ever known or had uh you can't just go out in a mundane drive in a bug eye something always happens it's wonderful you meet people you you hear great stories you attract attention you make friends you get people leaning out of the window shooting videos it takes something that has i'm afraid become less significant in everyday life, the sort of the identity and personality of a car and just brings it to light and to the surface. And I think that's what's made it so much fun for us is to have have a, a vehicle that we can work with every day that just sort of is so loaded with personality and fun. Oh, absolutely. To me, the bug eye is uh, akin to like the old Volkswagen Beetle. Everybody loves it. Everybody smiles when they see it. And for many younger people, I would assume these days, when they see a bug eye sprite, they furl their brow and go, what on earth is that? I've never seen one of those before. They're just one of those things you want to come up and hug. <laughs> you know, it's just a fun, fun little car. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you and this business that you've built and these wonderful little cars as we continue on your automotive journey. But first, I always like to ask my guest for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying. It has some meaning to you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah, so David, take the wheel. Well, I think that a couple of things that have really stood out for me over the years, like the one thing that I think is most important for us, and we try to remember this each and every day, is that everything that flows through our building 
has our name on it, whether we built it or not. Mm. And this is a really, really difficult piece of our everyday routine because we cannot, we can't touch every single part on every car that comes through our factory. And just, just to back up for a minute, we've sold now 211 bug eyes as of 2017. So we've had a lot of cars through our facility and not every one of those is built from scratch. We would never be able to make that work economically or in terms of time. Mm -hmm. It just would be impossible. So inevitably, we're looking for the things on every one of those 211 cars that stand out that need attention. Again, backing up just a little, our goal is to produce the best driving and the most reliable British car that we can. And that's a tall order. These were very inexpensive cars, and they've all been around for, you know, 50, 60 years, and they've, they've seen some abuse. So there's a lot to fix in general. Right. But the challenge that we have as a leader in this category is to just continue to acknowledge that even though we didn't touch it, we didn't build it, it still has our name on it. And I think that's a really difficult thing as a business owner is to just acknowledge that whether we built it or not, it's got our name on it. And that's a tough thing in the automotive space as well. Because lots of people, <laughs> lots of people handle cars on a pretty minimal basis. It right. comes in and it goes right back out again. I guess that's what gives these quote unquote flippers a bad name. So I think for us, while we do often buy and resell cars, we can spend months getting one ready for resale. And it's really, really difficult to draw the line. Where do you stop? So really every car that comes through our facility has our name on every piece of it, whether we built it or not. I think that's kind of a mantra that we have to continually come back to because otherwise it can just lead to problems down the road. Oh, sure. And especially these days with uh, social media and the way people can communicate so quickly about an experience they have had with somebody, whether it's a new car repair or an old car restoration or an old car being fixed and so forth. Tell our listeners who aren't real familiar with Bug Eye Sprites a little bit about these cars. Let's let's start with the years in which they were manufactured, engine sizes, and maybe a couple little things about the cars that the average person who is not real intimate with the Bug Eye might like to know about them. Well, it's it's an unusual piece of British automotive history in that it's a car that was really only made for three years. It was meant to be the poor man's Austin Healey, a car I think Donald Healey said that any anybody could keep in their shed. And it's, it's a very small car. It's 11 feet long and about four feet wide. And it was $1,800 when it was new. Most of them were bound for the U.S. market. It was uh, They made about 50,000 of them. They started in March of 1958. They finished in late 1960. Some of them were titled in 1961 because they were left over. But they really only manufactured this car in 58, 59, and 60. So uh, it was, as a poor man's sports car, a very simple machine. There were no door hand. There are no door handles. There are uh, interior door releases to open the latches. There's no trunk lid. So you reach in behind the seat to get to the boot, if you will, for storage. There's a one-piece nose that has the front fenders and the headlights. So because of economic constraints, it was a very simple design. And in fact, that's part of its charm. And part of the magic of its design is its simplicity. There's a fuel fill on the back deck and a license plate light and an emblem. But other than that, the back deck is completely 
basic and simple. And um, it just makes for very clean lines. It's a classic form. It's a very curvy form. It has these very distinct headlights on the hood, which are the bug eyes, or to the Brits, it would be the frog eyes. And those were initially going to be a pop-up headlight, similar to what you'd see on a 928, where they would lay down flat when they were out of service and you'd they'd electrically operate. But they couldn't afford to do that on such a cheap model. So ultimately, those were abandoned and the headlights were pretty much just kind of stuck on the hood. And um, that was really the essence of what makes the car so wonderful is these distinct, this distinctive face, if you will, uh, on the front of the vehicle. And, and interestingly enough, in 1961, the management at the time decided, well, people wanted a trunk lid in the back or a boot lid. They wanted a, an easy to lift bonnet a hood in the front that you could raise. And so the fenders would stay put. And they came out with the Mark II Sprite which fundamentally ruined the car. I mean, they're great cars, the Mark II Sprites, and it's basically the same platform, but the body shape and the personality was gone, and there's never been quite the cult following for the later Sprites, even though there are lots of them, and they're fantastic platforms. Many of them have been raced. Uh, many, many people got into sports cars with later Sprites and then MG Midgets, which were basically the same vehicle. But the Bug Eye holds this particular place in people's hearts because it's such a unique vehicle, such a unique personality, and it was only made for a very short time, just three years, and thus has become extremely collectible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you taking us down that very informative trail, and they are very endearing cars. I know that uh, one of my past guests, Keith Martin of Sports Car Market Magazine, you know, he's a collector and known as kind of a Italian car guy, but his son is young, and they just got him his first collector car. He can't even drive yet, but... It's a little bug eye sprite, a great starter car for, for a young person. And he's, he's, I think he's only 12 years old, something like that, but he can fit in the car and drive it around the parking lot. And yeah, they're just wonderful, wonderful little lovely cars. Well, let's go back in time. And I may have given up the answer to this question already. I'd love for you to share what instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment in your life when you realized that you were a car guy. You know, I, I think as a kid, as a preteen, if you will, I mean, I just was always into taking things apart, trying to put them back together again. You <laughs> yeah, know, as, yeah. as a 12 or 13 year old, I'm not sure I was always successful, but you know, I was lucky that my dad loved sports cars and he liked to change his cars a lot. So we had a lot of cars come through the family. It was, there was always a third car. I was really privileged in that sense that he, he just liked to have a, a fun car that he'd play with on the weekend. So this was an important part of my relationship with my dad was hanging out around cars, going to look at other cars that he wanted to trade and, you know, he would want to sell one and get something new. And that's that was very formative for me. I, I can't remember any specific moment, but I know that it was just kind of in the culture of our household. This was the thing my dad and I enjoyed together. And that's really what got me into classic cars and into sports cars and fun cars in general. My father had a well, when I was probably 15, he got his first 911, and he had a 69 911S, Ooh. which is obviously a wonderful car. I wish he kept it. Of course, anybody would, but yes. Um, yes. they've become so valuable. And it wasn't, a, I think he paid about $4,500 at the time for this car. Mm -hmm. But he would go on, he would go away for the weekend or go out on, on trips, and I would mark 
on the floor of the garage. This when I was 16 and had a license. I would mark with chalk on the floor of the garage where the car was parked, and then I'd take it. I would I would mark, I would note where his seat was, and I would try to remember as best I could where the mirrors were because he's bigger. He was bigger than I was. Yeah. I mean, he, he was always a taller guy than I am. So, uh, you know, it was an interesting. <laughs> that was a that was kind of a time when it was clear I was going in this direction, and I. I know my first car was a 1966 MGB. I bought it for $300 and it, it didn't run. The engine was seized. We towed it home to my house at, at, with a friend's. My friend's mother had a big Oldsmobile station wagon and we he borrowed that and we had a rope and we towed it home. <laughs> and uh, it sat in my driveway for a long time because, you know, as a 16-year-old kid, I didn't really have the resources or even know what to do, but I did eventually pull the engine out on a tree with a, a hoist. And But I just remember sitting in that car in the driveway when the engine was out. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what the circumstances were, but I remember sitting there like it was sort of free time on a Saturday afternoon and just kind of sitting back in that. It was a red leather seat with a lot of patina. Of course, at the time, the car was only 12 years old, but it already had no rocker panels. They were rusted away. Yeah. And the seats were pretty well cracked. But I just remember sitting in that MGB and just the metal dashboard and that giant banjo steering wheel. And just kind of, that was like for me, sitting in the living room and relaxing. I, <laughs> I think that was a moment when you asked the question of a pivotal time. You know, here was this teenager sitting in his driveway in this MG with holes in the side, but I was just as content as could be. So I don't think it's an accident that I ended up in the British car business. It sounds like it. How fun. What a great story. Thanks for taking us there. Well, let's talk about a big challenge or a big failure you faced. Now, you started this business about 10 plus years ago. And going into business for yourself, the entrepreneurial side of life can be fraught with ups and downs and gravelly roads and tight turns here and there. Could you take us to one of the times that was a big challenge for you and kind of walk us through it and then... Tell us how that helped you gain even more momentum to move forward in your business. Well, Mark, you know, I, I could talk for a long time about <laughs> that question. That's a tough question to answer because there are so many things in this journey. You know, first of all, we haven't really had a chance today to talk about how this thing evolved. And in that evolution, that's where there have been so many of these challenges, which have been, you know, ultimately good learning experiences and somewhat interesting, but challenging nonetheless. We came upon this almost by accident. I had an executive coaching practice in 2007. I had had it for the, you know, about 10 years at the time. And one of the things in my bio was that we, I just had a bunch about this bug eye that I'd had. I just, I listed a bunch of the things that I was passionate about. And one of them was this bug eye sprite. And there were a bunch of photos and pictures and other things I'd collected about the car and about the culture of the car. I put them all on the web. And just by accident, we discovered that we had a number one Google rating for bug eye sprites. If you wanted information about bug eye sprites, there was the bio page for my coaching practice. And um, it was just the magic of 2007 and the Internet and content and relevance. And there we were. And that was how we kind of got our first foothold in this industry. And then so I launched into trying to see if this could be a viable business. And that's where all the challenges have come. You know, like, so we started building up a bug eye website from there to capitalize on this Google rating. 
And along the way, I'll never forget that first time our website crashed. That was just one of the worst moments because at that point, um, we had a, a lot of traffic and a lot of interest in the cars that we had. And we ultimately started to sell parts later on. So the web became so vital to us. And because of hackers or malware or bots or whatever happened, the whole site crashed. It screwed up the server for some of the other people on this shared server. And now, like, in the face of trying to make a British car wonderful, which is difficult for anybody, we now have how do you get corrupt software off of a website, malware out of a web server, so that the web hosting company who could care less about British cars feels confident to allow your site to go live again. These are the kinds of things over the years that have really been challenging to try and, you know, because <laughs> any person can make a full-time career out of making British cars reliable. They, you know, the parts quality is often a challenge. The, um, the engineering on these things, they were, they were $1,800 cars. Nobody ever dreamt they'd be alive 60 years later. And yet, so, you know, you have this full-time job trying to sort all that out. And then you get handed the gift of, well, now make your website work. These are the things that I remember as difficult challenges. And each time trying to upgrade our web security and trying to learn more about how to do this in a lasting way, that's one thing that comes to mind. The other thing that's interesting is facility challenges have been vast for us. I think that you know, we started in my garage at home fixing the cars. I would get a, a bug eye in and, and um, I hired Russ, who's our lead technician right now. And the two of us would work in this tandem garage, which is narrow and it's a narrow car. We, we had a really horrible facility and we joke about that now because now we have about, I think we're up to uh, 11,000 square feet. Wow, cool. So we went from, you know, such a small space but along the way, managing to grow the, f the physical space has been equally difficult to the Internet space, yeah. if not more so, because, for example, I, I just wanted to have a physical space that would match the personality of the cars. Mm -hmm. So I bought a 1951 Quonset hut, oh, cool. which was <laughs> yeah. both the greatest thing I ever did and the dumbest thing I ever did, because, again, <laughs> it kept us from focusing solely on the product. Right. I knew I just didn't want a bland uh, physical space, but that old building posed a lot of challenges along the way, mainly with water leaks. Mm. And um, boy, we had some difficult days when we had flooding as we're trying to build a super high quality product. I would think so. The last thing you want in the mix is, is rainwater coming down on your head. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Well, you know... <laughs> Everybody goes through these things and everybody has unique challenges. It's interesting that you let off with uh, the technical side, a website part for a, a car repair business, because sometimes people don't relate those two, but I can certainly relate to that. And I think nowadays everyone feels they have to have a website, they have to have that presence, and that brings a whole other dynamic into the, into the challenge for running a business. But I appreciate you taking us down some of those tough roads. How about a career aha moment? Is there one that really stands out for you? Oh, man. I think that what most blew me away about the work that we do was when I started getting calls from people outside of our area. You know, there are certainly many restoration shops in America that have a good regional or local following. 
But I got a call from a woman in California, and she said to me, you know, I have had this bug eye for a long time, and it needs a lot of help. In fact, I'm sitting on a rolled-up sweater instead of a a seat bottom, and I'd love to have the seats rebuilt, and I really want to have a five-speed transmission. Can you put all that in the car? And I said to her, listen, you know, I'm honored that you've made this call. I'd love to do the work, but you realize we're going to add probably close to $3,000 of enclosed shipping to get your car from California to us and back again. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't care. I want it done right. Ah, there you go. (laughs) That for me was a really pivotal moment because suddenly it became clear that all this passion and all this very targeted marketing and information that was very targeted to people who like these cars allowed us to become a national facility in scope, which was something I never, ever would have dreamt would be possible because there are plenty of great resources on the California coast who can fix old British cars. Mm -hmm. But this woman still was delighted to send us her car. And that was probably five years ago. Right now we have a car in our building from Selma, Alabama, that's getting a makeover. Uh, We have another car from Durango, Colorado in our building. And I just, you know, as well, I have this complaint that automotive sameness is kind of choking the spirit of great cars and hence that bug eyes need to be revived and restored. I also can celebrate the fact that the world, it's become so much easier for this kind of thing. You know, people see us on the web wherever they are, and that's facilitated by modern technology. And an automotive shipment of classic cars has gotten much easier than it's ever been. There are many good providers. We have a great network. So we can get a car in Selma, Alabama, and bring it to our place and probably turn it around faster than an Alabama British car shop, which may not even exist. But, you know, we all know too many stories of these cars that go to a local shop and they sit there for a year because people get stuck. Right. And they can't actually turn it around and bring it back to the customer. And how many frustrated classic car owners do we all know? So in the case of using a a great shipper and bringing it into our facility and getting it back out again, we can turn these things around and and really improve on the product. And that's just been an amazing aha moment for us to see that that would even be possible. Yes. You know, you touched on some really important things here. One is niching down to a specialty And what came to mind is uh, last week I had a guest on the show, Mike Dunn, who owns vintage German motorcycles. He specializes in BMW, DKWs, uh, soon tops. And I had, he was referred to me by another guest of mine here, Philip Richter, who collects those bikes. He has a cool website called Turtle Garage and he's in Connecticut. Mike's in Anaheim or Southern California, but he wants to send his bike to a specialist, just like this lady wanted to send car to a specialist and uh, for these collector cars for those of us who love old cars uh, that's our passion so we're willing to spend a little more and you're right it's interesting how a car that was so technically limited is being uh, created a business for you and the technicalities of today's internet and all of that stuff the magic of things happening in the clouds and all this uh is now making it possible for you to run a business like that so very very cool now i would assume you've made yourself proud by making a lot of people very, very happy. Is there a proudest career moment you could share with us? Oh, wow. Um, You know, I think that in some ways, just selling more than 200 bug eyes is just, it's another one of those things I never would have dreamt was, would be possible. You know, I mean, 
I don't know what the most bug eyes a, a dealer, a BMC dealer would have sold in 1960, uh, the biggest dealer in the country. I've never been able to find a stat of how many cars they would have sold, but I, I highly doubt it was anywhere near 211, which is where we are as of this day. But mm-hmm. that's a proud accomplishment for us that we could single-mindedly focus on something and, and our product keeps getting better. So it, it, everyone that's come before makes the next one better. And, and that's really a proud moment. I think also to, um, to build a, a Concours gold car, uh, which you mentioned in the introduction was, was a really proud moment. I was really sweating because we, we took about six months to build this car and, and go through everything. We had to disassemble so much of it. It was a perfectly wonderful car. It was a restored car. It was a nice car. There was nothing wrong with this thing. But to play the game of national club concourse, there was a lot that was wrong. And in fact, it had been to a competition once before, and it didn't even get bronze level. If people are unfamiliar, you know, there are two types of concourse events there's this sort of casual judge concours, and many people would not call that casual, but you might have a team of judges who will look over your car for five minutes. They'll get a good feel of how nice it is, and then they'll pick their favorites. And that's a high level of competition. It happens all over the world. But then there are these nationally judged meets where, in our case, with the Healy Club, it was a two-hour judging project. I mean, oh my gosh. It's, it's a really re- remarkable phenomenon with four judges. For two hours, they have eight pages of sheets where they're literally ticking off every single item. And if your transmission is painted the wrong color, or if you don't have a washer under a nut that's supposed to have a washer from the factory, you lose a half point. If you lose more than 50 points, you get to silver level. If you lose another 100 points, you go down to bronze level. You know, so it, it, in other words, 850. You start with a thousand points they deduct from there. If you get 850 or up to 900, it's bronze. If you get 900 to 950, it's silver, and 950 and up, you get gold. So we got 967 points with this car, and I'll tell you, it was I was sweating watching them. <laughs> wow! I got to watch. They were nice enough to let me watch over their shoulder, and I'm looking at them pick on all these little. I mean, the most min, minute detail, but it really allowed us to sort of reiterate that we understood the foundation and from there from building that basic correct and accurate car that kind of gave us the most freedom to build the modified cars it's i guess i would equate it with sort of learning the musical scales before you really get to be good at improvising and i think it was an, a vital part of what has helped us to grow and a vital part of just understanding such a the core of what we're all about is, you know, we have to know how to make the perfect representation of a factory car. And it's a really, really difficult thing to do because there are so many parts that are not available anymore. So you have to turn a worn out thing into gold. Otherwise you, you can have the most accurate car in the world, but if it's all doesn't look good, you still don't get the gold level. It has to be accurate and pristine. And that's really what was challenging about this. It was what made it such a great accomplishment. Well, congratulations. Wow. Holy cow. I can't imagine two hours of someone picking over a car. And if you think of a, a car like on the lawn at Pebble Beach, some I saw a Fraschini or some grand car where there's a lot to see, but there's there's not a lot of parts to a Buckeye. So holy cow. Yeah, I can see why that would make you sweat. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here now that that, that 
Concours over and we're uh, relaxing a little bit after that two-hour judging meet. <laughs> I think I may have answered this question for you in your intro, but what was your first really special car? Was it that first bug eye? So in high school, I had three cars. My third car in high school was a Mini Cooper. And my fourth car was this bug eye that I still have that really spawned our business. But that third car, the Mini, was one that really made me smile thinking about this discussion with you today because that car came to me. It was it had been a kind of a weekend racer. The interior was all stripped out. And the the guy, I don't know if he was autocrossing it or tracking it at Bridgehampton at the time was open on Long Island. This was in the late seventies. And I got the car on Long Island and, and it had these racing slicks in the front. So it had one sixty five tens in the back and the slicks in the front, I, they were like two and a half times the width. They were gigantic. They stuck way out beyond the front of this car. But as a 16 year old kid, I thought that was really cool. Of course, today <laughs> yeah. I, it just looked horrifically idiotic because they were so mismatched. Right. But they were bias plies and the sidewalls were really cracked. And I don't know, that would have probably been the most expensive thing I could have imagined buying was new racing tires for a Mini Cooper at that point on my budget. And I don't even know if you, how easy it would have been to find 10-inch racing slicks. But nonetheless, in spite of the cracks, well, because of the cracks, they lost air every night. So I'd go out to go to high school in the morning, and my tires would be flat. In the front. I had a bicycle <laughs> pump. And I would pump up these two front tires. And then, you know, and it didn't buy, it took a few extra minutes. It held a lot of air. But that was my way to get to high school at the time. Yeah, I know who's uh, smiling right now is one of my kind sponsors, Chris Kimball, who has a little Mini Cooper, is smiling right now. He's a daily listener, so shout out to him. How about Seller's Remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish you still had? I wish I still had that 69 Duetto uh, that it was in the 1750 Alpha Spider, you know, a boat tail spider, the, you know, the graduate car. If people are unfamiliar, of course, it was the later one with the headrest and the fuel injection. But what happened about the same time, the same same high school kid, uh, I don't remember why I was checking the timing chain tension. It's, of course, a double overhead cam engine. But I messed up the timing, and I couldn't get it to start. And I was terrified that the valves hit the pistons, and I panicked, and I sold the car. I couldn't figure it out, and I, I wasn't, at that point in my life, I wasn't really able to figure out how to get somebody to help me make it right, and it was stuck in my father's garage, and I, I just sold the car. Mm. I'm sorry I did that. I, I, I never actually got to find out if the pistons had hit the valves or if I just needed to get the cam timing right and would have been able to still be driving it today. I might have been duetto guy as a result. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Oh, my goodness. Well, let our listeners know what you're working on these days that has you very excited and fired up. We took this car, Gumby, that's what I call it, because Gumby's always been cable tied to the rearview mirror on this bug eye that I got in 1979 or 78. It, um, we took Gumby over the last year and we re-restored it. I had, you know, I bought the thing in the 70s. We painted it in my brother-in-law's driveway in around 1980, and it never got restored after that. I had driven it for many years with no floor pans even. There was just a piece of tin in the in the driver's footwell that was loose. And so, you know, I put in new floors in about the year 2003, and it still never was really a restored car. And when we crossed the 200th bug-eye mark, we decided to restore that thing and make it spectacular. And just to turn it into a showcase of what could be done with a bug eye, of course, I talked about the Concours rigor 
But really with Gumby, we wanted to acknowledge the heritage, but also make something that was really an expression of what um, kind of an elegant bug eye could be. Almost like if what Singer is to 9-11, perhaps we could make Gumby into, you know, just the most spectacular bug eye. And we didn't want to lose the soul of the car. So we we tried to very tastefully add um, top stitching to the floor mats and some some thread detail to the dashboard covering, but keep the original gauges and the original seats. But we quilted, we diamond stitched the seats and I bought a leather hide and we dyed it to match this Aston Martin green. We really tried to make, you know, kind of the ultimate bug eye. Mm -hmm. And that for me is one of the most exciting projects we've taken on because it opens up this segment for high end bug eye sprites. So many people I mean, I've heard just hundreds of stories, it seems, from people who had a bug eye on a base when they went off to war and came back and the car was there, but it changed ownership. Or they were driving in a bug eye during some event in the 60s that they remember vividly. I've had people who've said that they came back from the hospital in a basket on the back shelf of a <laughs> bug eye between the seats. I mean, this was before car seats and everything, yeah. you know, so... There's just so much history, so many people out there who now are into higher-end collectible cars. We're excited to be building something that's very high-end. It's not just an $1,800 sports car anymore. It's a tight and responsive and powerful interpretation of what these cars once were, were but still with the, the soul and the history and the heritage of these wonderful little cars. Nice, nice. Is there a place on your site where people can go and see Gumby? Yeah, there's the the right margin of the com site. There's a Gumby button you can click, and there's also a, a, a button for Super Sprites. That's what we're calling these cars that are modified. We've we've fuel injected them, we've supercharged them, we've you know we've done we a lot of five speed transmissions, lower rear ends. You know, I I was I drove Gumby up to Vermont for this great show at Stowe. They have every September, and it was a 500-mile round trip. And I put a picture on the website of Gumby at 80 miles an hour and 4,000 RPMs, which is that's a lot of RPMs, especially by modern standards. But for a bug eye, you know, yeah. remember these cars had 90, they had 948 cc engines when they were new, yeah. and they had, you know, rear ends were such that you'd be turning a lot of revs at 80 miles an hour, probably close to 4,800 RPMs. So to be able to get it down to 4,000 RPMs and have an 80-mile-an-hour stable platform, I mean, in, in 1960, nobody would ever dream of doing that. It, it just was not – that's not what this car was made to do. It, it's a short wheelbase car, but we are able to turn it into something that can do that, and um, that's just a delight for us because it opens up the possibility that these cars can go out and share the modern roadways with all the other cars that are out there today. Very nice. Cool, cool. Love it. Well, David, if you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Oh, man. I, I guess I'd be a bug eye, but but that's <laughs> probably too easy. Maybe I'd be an amphi car. I'd probably be a flying amphi car. I think, I think that to be able to go into the water and to go on the road to sort of expand the possibilities of what an automobile might be. Mm -hmm. I think I've always been interested in conveyance and, and how is it that a human beings travel what is it that we choose to enrobe ourselves with as we go out in the world from point A to B? So if I had a car that could go into the water and, and take me swimming and also fly, 
I think that would probably be what I'd be. It would have to have a lot of personality as well. I've never been one for for cars that look the same. And sadly, that's kind of the automotive universe we seem to be living in right now. Yes, absolutely. Just go to any car rental place and walk down the aisle when they say pick any car. It's like, well, they're all the same. It's like, ugh, (laughs) boring. Well, David, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. All right, David, we are back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions for you to answer. And I'd love for you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I'd say that the the cheapest car is always the most expensive one. (laughs) I understand. Been there, done that. (laughs) Will you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your successes over the years? Probably mostly to listen. I think that listening is becoming a dying art and to try to really hear what my customers are looking for and offer it to them. I think that's an integral part of any successful business. And successful people. There's a great book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Habit 5, I think it is, is my favorite. First, listen to understand, then speak to be understood. Yes, listening. More people need to do that. Now, is there a resource out there that you'd like to share with our listeners you found really compelling and useful? Wow, there are so many different resources on the web. I mean, it's a never-ending flow. But one resource that I really enjoyed in the in recent years that was you may not think of was we went to we were in England on a trip recently in London, and we went out to Oxford to the Mini Cooper factory mm-hmm. and watched them make new minis. Uh, it was just really cool to be there. I know they made Morris Miners across the street, and my wife has a Morris Miner, so it's kind of fun. But But to watch the robots build minis and to see modern automotive manufacturing 
as we're trying to do old style manufacturing, I found that to be a remarkable resource. It was really eye opening for me to watch that process. Yes. And if anybody has a chance to go see any modern auto manufacturing, I think that's a resource car lovers would really enjoy. It'll blow you away. I've had the privilege of being at many factories around the country, including places where they where they built small numbers like Lamborghini factory, the Ferrari factory, but also Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz, which was mind-blowing how huge that place was. Porsche, again, a little bit smaller, but still very, very modern. The factory you've talked about. Yeah, it it's absolutely incredible. And if you don't, you don't have to go abroad. There's some great factory tours you can do here in the U.S. The Corvette factory tour is really, really fascinating to go see. So if you have a chance, go do that. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive field or industry, living or deceased, who would that be? Peter Egan, the writer ah. from <laughs> Road and Track and Cycle World. Yes. I think his style of writing to me is has always been with me. That's sort of this half-smiling attitude about old British cars where you you expect a lot and you expect nothing at the same time because it's all about the journey. <laughs> I think he captures that beautifully. Um, you know, I, I think it was he who had written the, that the heater on some particular old car was like a hamster blowing through a straw. Yes. And uh, we get people asking us about the heater on their new bug eye. And I always think of that quote from Peter. <laughs> well, we put three hamsters in your car, sir. So it blows a little bit stronger. <laughs> and three very nice straws, too. One of them is even bendable, so you can point in the right direction. Oh, wonderful. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy reading? Well, there are lots. I'd say, though, the one that is a real Bible for us is Modify Your Mini by David Vizard, which is really kind of the Bible for A-series engines, whether it be in minis or bug eyes. There's so much in that book that I keep referring back to. Great. Awesome. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources David has shared on his show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to Cars yeah, type David Silberkleit, and his name is spelled S I L. B-E-R-K-L-E-I-T. That page will pop up with all these cool links, including a way to get to his website, which you've got to go see. It's really, really fun. All right, David, we are up to the checkered flag. This question, though, can be a bit of a doozy. You can only have one cool collector car in your garage, but I'm going to buy it for you. So money's no problem today. I'll write the check. Don't worry about that. But you got to use the car. you got to enjoy it. you got to drive it. What would that car be and why? A 246 Dino has always been, to me, the ultimate shape. I mean, I, I think the curves on that car, to, are it's just the perfect form, automotive form mm. by my humble eye. And I think that um, there's also something about it being a Ferrari and not a Ferrari. I, I think that um, it being a Dino and, and not having a V12 and all that, I think that I was always interested, I've always been interested in the cars that are kind of an alternative, have an alternative culture, and somehow a Dino would capture all of that for me. And it's small enough, there'd still be room for Gumby in the garage with it. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, it's interesting you chose that car because earlier you mentioned the Sprite kind of being the lower inversion of the Austin Healey. And I think about Porsche with the 914. And of course, the 246 is like that with Ferrari. First Ferrari I ever drove was a 246 back when I had a detailing business. A client had one. I, oh, I lived for the, every month I would detail his car. I'd ride my bike to his house. He let me drive it back to my house. I always took the long way back. That's for sure. Wonderful cars. They're so beautiful. Yeah. I, I one of the most beautiful cars out there, I think. 
And of course, they've gotten a little pricey, but uh, at least you didn't say a GTO. So I think that's something I can afford for you today. So now, would you like would you like the GTS or would you like the hardtop? Oh man, uh, if you're buying it, I guess I'd take the GTS. But if I could find a hardtop because it's a little bit less expensive, that'd be fine. <laughs> you want chairs and flares with that order, sir? <laughs> We can add that. No problem. Here at Cars Yeah, we aim to please. So drive to the next window and your car will be waiting. Oh, goodness. And what color would you like yours to be? It would have to be, again, something other than red, like uh, silver, green, um, something less than conventional. Because to me, the car says it all. It doesn't need the color. I, I think the subtle colors, to me, always accentuate the form more than the bright colors do. Although black would be fine as well. <laughs> yes. You know, there was a beautiful lineup of those at the Concorso Italiano meet uh, during Car Week. Of course, that wonderful event. And they've always got great Dinos there. And there was a car there, that, a Dino that stood out for me that was a, uh, I don't remember the exact name. It was a Verde something. It was a green, but it was a pistachio color. Yeah, that would do. I'll take it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just film I just keep thinking of that car. And and there was a black one there too. And I'm not really a black car guy because I'm just too tidy. I can't stand that they get dirty so fast. But that green car, oh, oh man, I'd love to get that for you, David. Well, you've taken me and us on a great ride today here at Cars. Yeah, I've really enjoyed learning more about you and your business. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with our listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that 246? <laughs> you know, uh, there's the Internet makes for such an opportunity for people that are niche-focused. I think that's something that was so integral to the coaching practice that I had was that if, if people could identify their passion and then sort of put it out to the world on the internet in a very small but very excellent way, sort of to be the best at that one little small niche, that's really been the secret to our growth and to the success of our business. And I think that that's something that people need to keep remembering. I, I meet too many people who are not as happy as they might be in their work life. And I, I really think that internet and passion expressed for profit is the pathway to having a great business and a great career. And I'm, I'm just lucky that we've been able to express work and life in that way. And I'm just hoping more people can do that. It's, uh, it's been a wonderful part of our journey. Very well said. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Bugeyeguy.com. There's, uh, there's there are just hundreds of pages and funny pictures and photographs that people have shared with us of their cars or we had a picture uh last week of a car that we called the rescue me bug eye that was just buried in a in a forest and we dragged it out this week and it looked it was actually so much better than we thought it would be because it was in the dry southwest and that went off to a new home in virginia so you can you can see all these photographs and a lots of good information if you like bug eye sprites and the whole British car culture. It's all at that bug eye guy site. We also have bugeyeguyparts.com, which is a separate site and it's a parts catalog. And that's where people who already have bug eyes can join the fun with us and, and get the benefit of some of the things that we've filtered out. There's just such a range of parts quality out there. We try on our catalog to kind of choose the best of the best from the multiple suppliers that are out there and make sure it's available for people working on their own projects. Excellent. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything David has shared on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to Cars Yeah, type David in that search bar. 
or if you want to include his last name, Silberkleit. Very unique name, and you will find his page and find a link to his site. I encourage you to check out what he's up to. You are most certainly likely to fall in love with a bug eye, just like everybody does when they see one. David, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your wonderful experiences with the Car Shout listeners and with me. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Pleasure's all mine. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!